Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sotolaro, and again, I uh, hope everybody's doing well, you know, under the circumstances, you know, managing frustrations, managing fears. I mean, more and more we are hearing about our peers around the United States that are having uh, more and more challenge. And again, it's just awesome to see that everyone is doing well. And this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Bountree Medical. Learn how Bountree can help you save minutes and lives at Bountree.com. Kelly Grayson, of course, is doing his best paramedic stuff there in Louisiana and won't be joining us today. You know, over the past few shows, we've really tried to highlight some of the folks that are doing the business. And and you've heard the shows. I mean, we've gone from fire-based EMS. We've gone to researchers. You know, we've talked with uh, ER nurses and kind of the discussion about what they're going through. And one of the things that I was asking in a couple of shows is, how is our hospital-based partners doing their job? And I got to tell you today, I am excited to have the Director of Pre-Hospital Services at Cox Health EMS in Springfield, Missouri, uh, join us and kind of share his perspective. My friend, Mark Alexander. Mark, I want to thank you for joining us on the Inside EMS podcast. My pleasure, Chris. You know, so when we think about this from this pandemic side, and Mark, you're a you're a EMS professional that's uh, been in the business for a few years, and I, I really just want you know kind of hear from your perspective. You, you've kind of been through a lot of uh, you know experiences in your career, and now as you start to approach this, I mean, one of the things that I would find in this space is. I'm kind of having to reevaluate, readjust my leadership strategy, and you know, to make sure that I have a good, healthy workforce or that they're inspired and motivated. How does this compare to anything that you've done in your career, and how are you managing that for your folks? So that's a good point, and it's something that I began early on, probably within the first uh, three or four, five days, uh, with the onslaught of information that was coming out and, and how much of the information was really not accurate or it was close to being accurate, but just not completely accurate. So, and then the, just the, the insane amount of stress and anxiety that that creates when you don't know uh, which direction to turn. My, my concern for the staff was that they're out there sitting in trucks, they're being onslaught with this information, but they don't know what is what. So we started early on with a daily conference call. Uh, it's a go-to meeting, so if people want to join by computer, they can. We share information uh, that we know to be accurate, um, but primarily just provide them with an opportunity to talk about their own concerns and those types of things. And that takes place at 7.30 every morning, Monday through Friday. They've not asked for it on the weekends yet, but uh, so I start my day that way every day. And, um and then we've continued to update throughout the day as, as circumstances on the ground change. So we've had a couple of impromptu conference calls. I had one 5 o'clock last Friday evening that we had actually 135 staff members join. I thought that was uh, pretty uh, telling about the importance of sharing this information with folks that we could generate that kind of volume at 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And one of the things that I think we know as leaders is in the absence of good communication, our people are going to develop the uh, the truth and develop the stories within inside the organization. And I think that you being able to touch them every day and, and actually be with them uh, even virtually gives them that little sense of confidence. So h- how are you dealing with that? I mean, because one of the things that we talked about before we started recording is, and you made the comment to be as light on our feet as possible, because the, the ever-changing 
uh, information that's going out? Is that causing frustration with your folks? Do they understand the processes? And, and how are you dealing with what work, what's working today may be a different process tomorrow? Well, perfect example, uh, last Friday what generated that uh, call was the decision by our ER staff, uh, being a, a member of the emergency management team here at Cox Health, um, I've sat in the IC or participate in the incident command structure within the health system as well as here in Greene County. Um, and so that information came out of the ER Friday afternoon at about uh, 3 o'clock, actually, that they were no longer going to allow bag valve mask uh, resuscitative procedures in the emergency department. Obviously, that's a um, predominant way of, of ventilating patients in the pre-hospital setting. And so got the medical director uh, on board, so we basically uh, opened the line up and just started putting out some new standards. Uh, we've had a, a highly infectious disease protocol that has been changed now probably four times that I can recall since this all began, changing the type of PPE used. Uh, we started with uh, obviously having our uh, emergency medical dispatch center screening patients um, but then we learned soon after that that this crews also needed to screen the patients because we had a couple of patients that snuck up on us. They were trauma patients that didn't present with uh, any information related to travel or previous symptoms that turned out to be uh, highly uh, suspected as positive. One was and one wasn't. And so that if you're not protecting yourself in all those cases, um, you know, you're going to get you're going to get fooled. I think that's probably the biggest and most important um, message that we've been kind of pounding on on a daily basis is every patient is a potential risk to you. And quite frankly, it's always been that way. It's just more um, uh, you know, prevalent now that we have the, the outbreak uh, to make sure that, that they're looking out for, for one another and, and making sure each person is putting the PPE on, PPE on protect, um, correctly as well as uh, taking it off correctly. And I think that that's the big, it's, it's really, you know, getting it on is, is the easy part. It's getting it off and avoiding that cross-contamination. That's really the challenge. You know, when you talked about PPE, and one of the questions I've been asking all the guests that have come on, because we know that that's a big challenge, you know, in the United States with our healthcare partners trying to uh, ensure that they have the correct PPE. And it seems that EMS is getting left out in this process. Uh, and but from your side of being a hospital-based system, you know it's almost a double whammy because the EMS system is affected by the you know the par levels in the hospital system. I mean, how are you doing with PPE, and what kind of plans do you have if that becomes a challenge for your folks? So uh, we've been very aggressive. The hospital has been very aggressive. Um, first of all, we're, we're obviously part of the healthcare coalition uh, here in Southwest Missouri. Um, that provides an avenue for EMS partners to get PPE through the Health Care Coalition and the national or strategic national stockpile. However, uh, we've also been going out and uh, to the vendors that we normally purchase from um, and, and purchasing these things. It's been a struggle. So far, we've been able to manage that uh, effectively enough that we've not run out. Um, you know, I think initially we were looking at maybe a three-day uh, um, the supply at the current burn rate that we had yesterday, uh, we made a decision as a health system to start wearing masks all the time. If you're a um, primary care provider, then you're going to wear the mask um, 
um, the, the surgical masks, non-healthcare uh, providers, non people that don't actually touch patients, uh, are putting on uh, cloth masks just to protect others from from anything that we might be carrying around. So um, I think the light at the end of the tunnel is, is, is maybe a good one. I think we've got a, a supply that we expect later on this week uh, that will uh, make us whole at least for a while, and, and then we just continue to be very uh, deliberate about how we use the PPE and only use the correct level uh, or um that's demanded by the, the circumstances that we're in so that we're not needlessly using stuff that we might find a need for later on and not have enough. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that uh, we ever thought in our careers that we would have trouble with uh, PPE. And, you know, this is the time frame where I think at the end of this, this is going to open up a lot of eyes in an after-action report to say, you know, how do we ensure these things uh, don't happen again for the next go-round? Because I think we know there'll probably be a next go-round. But, you know, I really kind of want to switch the gears and talk a little bit about the community paramedic side of the business, Mark. You you have one of the best uh, community paramedic programs in the state of Missouri, and certainly the work that you guys do uh, really sets the standards for others to follow outside the state of Missouri. As you think about responding to your citizens, how are the community paramedics going to play into this? Is, is there something that you have them set up to do differently? Uh, are they going to be more on the front lines of uh, primary care since they can't get in to see their uh, physicians? I mean, so uh, do you have a plan for them? We do. Um, first uh, thing, the, the patients that we were currently seeing helped us develop a plan. Many of them said, you know, can we just uh, visit via phone or by Skype? and not actually have us come into the home because they were concerned that we might be carrying it or uh, have been exposed to it, and, and they didn't want us coming in their house. Now, that's not across the board, but we got had that from a number of our current patients. Then we have patients who come into the health system um, who um, have uh, – you know, a test done may be showing some symptoms, but they're not sick enough to be admitted, so we send them home. And so in those cases, uh, the individual uh, patients either are followed up on, our, our, excuse me, first of all, our, our home health agency, Cox at Home, provides a uh, pulse oximetry unit uh, for the individual to take home with them to monitor their pulse ox uh, levels. Um, in the cases where the, the individual has a PCP, then that is handed off to the PCP, and the PCP or their staff monitor that patient a couple of times a day, call them, ask them what the readings were, just to kind of keep track of how they're doing. And, and in the cases where they don't have a, um, a primary care physician yet, uh, then they turn those over to our, our uh, community paramedics, uh, chaps that we call them, and then they they follow those patients. Um, we again try to find a, a PCP for those, but first and foremost, we want to monitor that pulse ox. My plan and the plan still is, if circumstances uh, get to that point, uh, would be that we would have these individuals uh, going into the homes and providing care in the home and not treating, not transporting patients necessarily. Um, as we might in, in uh, normal circumstances. Um, thankfully, we've not gotten to that point yet, um, but because of our experience now over the last four and a half uh, years, we certainly feel like 
that is an option for us to uh, be able to further help manage the epidemic by keeping people at home that don't absolutely need to come to the hospital for admission. And I think that that's really a big point when we think about the, the transporting of those patients to the ER. I mean, what can be done in the ER that can't be done in the home? And it seems that in this process, we're seeing a lot of different types of COVID-19 responses to the virus and in individuals from high-grade fevers to low-grade fevers to no fevers to, you know, so really, uh, you know, GI trouble, uh, you know, dry cough, so on and so forth. So it seems that there's a spectrum of symptoms and what could be done in the home compared to uh, what could be done in the ER. So I think you bring up a really great point. I want to go ahead and take a quick break here and talk about Boundary Mark, but when we come back, I want to uh, ask you about the role of your department inside the hospital. But before we do that, as your partner in EMS for over 40 years, Boundary has made it their goal to provide you with more than emergency medical supplies and equipment. Boundary partners with you to create efficiencies within your agency, streamline your operations, and help you find ways to make the most out of your budget. Your dedicated account manager will be your true partner, acting as your personal advisor and to help you determine which solutions are right for you and your specific needs. To find out more or to set up a new account, visit Boundary.com or call 800 5330523 and you know mark when when you talk about being a hospital based system i've tried to really kind of talk about the logistics of what goes into ems transporting to the hospitals and you know patient handoff and so on and so forth as a member of the health system and you know being part of the leadership of that uh, that hospital how have you now, or what's the interaction between your ambulances coming into your EMF, your hospital system and dropping off patients? I mean, how is that working, and is it working well? Well, I mean, there's always failures in, in procedure from time that crop up from time to time, but for the most part, yeah, that works very smoothly. The staff know each other. That can pave the way for more uh, uh, smooth relations. Sometimes it has the opposite effect depending upon uh, who the individuals are, but our ER staff and our, our pre-hospital staff are, are really part of the same team. They just have different roles. Uh, so as it relates to treatment of the COVID patient or a stroke patient, any of the time-critical patients that we have here in Missouri, uh, the fact that we do work together as one team really helps to prepare um, the patient better for the ED when the patient arrives. It helps prepare the ED staff uh, to be um, ready when the patient arrives. And, and all in all, I think it, it gives us a leg up in, in uh, caring for patients, hopefully in a much more seamless fashion. The manner in which we communicate changes from time to time. We now have uh, uh, application that we can use through ESO to actually send video as well as pictures and other information to the ED um, that's actually a regional thing that uh, Mercy EMS also shares uh, that, again, helps to further prepare the receiving uh, facility uh, with information about the patient. You know, there are pitfalls along the way, but we've seemed to be able to make those. Um, and, you know, I think, it's, I think it's been a very beneficial thing for Southwest Missouri to have two large hospital EMS systems providing 911 service um, in the majority of the counties here. Right. And I agree with you. And I think that that's, uh, that's really one of the benefits and the citizens that you serve are sure in the, uh, 
in a great spot when it comes to uh, you guys delivering the highest quality of patient care. You know, we hear all around the United States, Mark, about, um, you know, folks getting infected, healthcare workers getting infected, and short staff, and so on and so forth. Um, in, do you guys have an action plan to help augment what's going on in the emergency room or going on in the hospital with your EMS folks if it comes to the point that, uh, you know, there needs to be some assistance due to healthcare providers getting ill or how is that working? Well, so thankfully we've not had uh, anyone um, actually develop symptoms that we believe was exposed, uh, at least not on the EMS side of things yet. Um but what we have done uh, as a health system is we have, you know, as most hospitals have, canceled uh, elective procedures, uh, surgeries, and what have you, which has created uh, more bed space, but it's also created uh, a much lower census. And so some uh, areas of the hospital begin to have to furlough staff. Um, while at the same point in time, one of the things that has impacted EMS is the the routine and aggressive way in which we have to both you know, use PPE as well as uh, decontamination after the fact. Um, my concern was that as we get more and more of these patients and have to decon our ambulances, you know, for an additional 35 or 40 minutes after each call, the staff will get tired. And when staff gets tired, that they, they start cutting corners and perhaps uh, are protecting themselves in a manner that they should or could be able to. And so we uh, reached out to the surgery staffing and have accumulated a group of nurses now that uh, currently we're just staffing one at a time but could ramp up if necessary that stay down in the ED. And as our crews come in, uh, they actually work with them to make sure the decon is going well. They get in and help the crews decon the ambulance. They make sure that the doffing of the PPE is done correctly. Surgery nurses are experts at that. They do it multiple times a day. So um, that just began actually last night was the first shift. And I think there are potential other uh, things such as that where our staff could help integrate within the health system and vice versa to support one another and, and maintain as safe an environment uh, for the care providers as we can. I got to tell you, man, I think that sounds as a best practice. I wouldn't have even thought about that from the standpoint of having, you know, I'm, I'm asking the question, how is EMS augmenting the hospital? not even thinking about how is the hospital uh, professionals augmenting the EMS staff. And I think that using those uh, surgery uh, professionals, you know, to kind of help your EMS folks uh, is a great practice. So kudos to you for that. You know, so one of the questions I like to ask people, um, you know, especially during this pandemic, I think that there are going to be, you know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of successes, a lot of failures, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of, uh, you know, milestones that uh, kind of happen. And, and as we kind of talked about in the beginning, you know, you have a lot of experience in EMS, well-respected in the state as an EMS leader. Um, has anything really kind of caught you from the side of saying, wow, I mean, I didn't even think of that, or kind of an aha moment, or, you know, as you go through your day, you're like, man, this is just this is just craziness. But I'm curious to know, like, the biggest uh, aha moment or lesson you've learned to this point so far during this pandemic. I think the aha moment, you know, we, we don't really drill for pandemics uh, because pandemics are not uh, sprints or marathons. They last a long period of time. 
so we don't drill for these things like we do for uh, you know tornadoes or other uh, natural disasters that uh, might crop up and force us to spring into disaster management mode. But this truly is uh, disaster management mode. Um, one of the things that we have had to do in the past with some of these large regional uh, natural disasters is just stand the hospital IC and integrate with uh, the uh, regional incident command systems and the MACs, if you will, to uh, help manage in a particular area. We've done that here, but I think it goes back to just the, the flood of information and sorting out the fact from fiction and the fact from disinformation, intentional disinformation, to keep the staff informed legitimately with the appropriate information is the one thing that kind of caught me off guard. I was a beneficiary of some information that came out of the Empress system in New York. A friend of mine works for the company that owns them. and. He said that that was one of their uh, lessons learned early on was just the, uh, the great amount of, of disinformation. And when I heard that, I thought, well, I probably ought to start be proactive and, and get out there and talk to crews on a, on a daily basis to find out, you know, what it is that's going on, what their concerns are. And that kind of led to that uh, daily conference call that we had. So I think that in, in, in assisting, I, I hope, and the information I'm getting from my staff is it's appreciated. I hope that it's helping to to reduce the amount of stress and anxiety that they have so that they can uh, do their jobs uh, with a little less fear, but knowledge is power with a, a better determination to be able to protect themselves and, and uh, be able to go home at the end of the day without taking something home to their family. Yeah, I think that that's the most important part. Well, I got to tell you, Mark. It sounds like that you guys are doing a great job, and you're certainly ready for the, uh, you know, if a surge happens. Right now in Missouri, we're seeing about three thousand. At the time of this recording, we're seeing about three thousand affected patients. I know down there in Greene County, uh, you are uh, monitoring that very, very closely. And uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to visit with us. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. If you have a final thought for those folks that are out there, what do you give them? Um. Don't let your guard down and uh, communicate, communicate, and communicate with everybody. That's, uh, I mean, knowledge is power, and the, and the more accurate information that we can get out there, the, uh, the better it is for our staff. Awesome. And for everybody out there, I mean, you know, hopefully we're learning some lessons, you know, from the people who are learning the lessons, and we're really kind of using this as a, as a go forward. And I want to thank you for joining us on this edition of, on this edition of Inside EMS. Uh, for Kelly Grayson, I'm Chris Sabalera. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at the show at ems1.com, and we'll go ahead and talk to everyone again real soon.